Blog Talk Radio. Aloha! Welcome to BC Radio Live, a production of BC Magazine and part of the BC Radio Network. We are broadcasting live online, so please do stop by the chat room at blogtalkradio.com slash bcradio to join in. We actually have a live video feed. I am Philip Wynn, Chief Geek at BC Magazine, and I have on the line with us tonight both Eric Olson, founder and publisher of BC Magazine, and... Lisa McKay, Executive Editor of BC Magazine. Welcome, Eric and Lisa. Thank you. Hi, Philip. It's nice to be here finally. Yeah, yes. we're really happy to have Lisa on. She 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 hasn't made it heretofore, dealing with uh, holiday issues and not feeling well and whatnot. So we're very excited to have her. Well, it's very exciting to be here. Thank you. Why don't you tell us a little about what you do for Blog Critics, since you have such a central role your shoulders are broad and wide, metaphorically speaking. <laughs> well, let's see. Um, I, I think that um, our, our fellow editor, Anna Creech, described it best in Las Vegas when she called me an internet cat herder. Um, <laughs> it, actually, it actually describes part of the job really well. Um, I sort of ride herd on, on the, the, the front of the house, uh, as they would say in the restaurant trade, uh, I kind of make sure that things uh, move through the pending queue. I train new editors that are coming on board. I hold people's hands behind the scenes and occasionally wipe a teardrop from an eye. And uh, generally, uh, I'm a cheerleader for, uh, I think, for both the writers and, and the editors. And um, it's a pretty incredible group of people that we work with, as you well know. Absolutely. Well, you have... Uh, really purely of your own volition and your own efforts just grown into that role created that role for that for that matter and you know way 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 back in the old days when when I was our only <laughs> editor ostensibly uh you know it's just a whole different kind of deal now i mean in the old days the writers posted their own stories they did their own editing i tried to get through everything at least to give it a super quick once over to make sure that it was not terribly egregious but you know that was the extent of our of our editing and when we were doing you know five to ten stories a day and i wrote half of them that was feasible but as we've grown in numbers and in uh, quality and in quantity now these days where all of the stories are edited prior to publication we have about 20 editors working with us and our standards have risen, and you are absolutely right in the middle of holding all of that together, and we surely could not do it without you. So thank you ever so much. Well, you're very welcome. And as you know, I, I wouldn't be doing it if it weren't for the fact that I'm, I'm having a complete blast doing it. It's um, probably one of the most gratifying things I, I think I've ever done um, in, in my adult life. So uh it's it's really great. It's a tremendous group of people. And I think that, you know, for those of us who, who work on the editing side of it, the exciting part is that you can sort of make your job what you want your job to be, which is uh, an incredibly 
you know, sort of liberating and fulfilling place to be in your life. Well, for it, example, in, in addition to the, all of the things that we've mentioned, you do, uh, you know, the herding cats aspect, you're, you're also actually, you know, heavily involved in one particular section more than any other. Yes, that's true. I'm the section editor for our incredibly busy film section. Um, film just, you know, being a passion of mine from probably from the time I was a kid. And um, that's really that's really been a fun a fun part of it for me because um, I think that uh, among our film writers are certainly some of the people who have been at BC for the longest. Um, we've got a, a lot of writers in the film section who have been on board for a very long time, and it's been kind of exciting um, to watch them sort of grow as as writers and. It's also because film is is so compelling, and you hardly ever meet anybody that doesn't like the movies. Um, that's also a section where a lot of our new writers land. So it's it's really fun from a lot of different viewpoints. You know, one of the things we talked about in Las Vegas, we uh, we had a little panel where we talked about uh, you know I think it was so you want to be a critic. Um, I, I think a lot of people, especially when they first join blog critics, they assume that it must be the easiest thing in the world to write movie reviews. After all, everybody sees movies and everybody has an opinion on them. And I know one of the tasks that we, we've talked about that, that you really try to set for the film section is, is helping people see the difference between, um, you know, this is what I like about this movie or this movie sucks, and, and what it is that, that makes a good film reviewer a really good film reviewer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's an interesting thing because um, we, I think we have writers that, well, we have writers, I think, in most sections that, that come in two flavors. We have writers who aren't necessarily um, academically or theoretically steeped in subject matter, but they're very passionate about it. And, you know, that's kind of like talking to your, your best friend at work who's a complete film nut and knows his stuff inside and out but, you know, but doesn't have a, a film degree from someplace. And then we actually do have writers with film degrees who do this professionally. And so I think what we, what we end up getting um, are we've got those two extremes of the very passionate amateurs and the very passionate people who aren't so amateur. And then in the middle, we've got people that are sort of learning to write good analysis um, that isn't, you know, just sort of, you know, talking to the guy in the next cubicle about what you saw over the weekend and what you liked about it. And I think getting people to sort of learn how to think critically um, is, is, a pretty, is a pretty cool thing. Well, we just saw. Uh, I think uh, John Sobel put it put it through to the Yahoo group, our writers group, the private writers group, um, that he saw a story that was a collection of of uh, essays or commentary on on what it means to be a critic. And one of the definitions that I saw, just in a brief glance, really makes a lot of sense to me. And it's it's the art of making fine distinctions. And that's true because you know. The more broadly you write, the less you say. You know, yeah, I like this. No, I didn't like it. it I laughed. I didn't laugh. Uh, you know, anyone can say these things, and, and essentially they're meaningless because they apply to almost anything. But what you're trying to do is really pin down with specificity, you know, how you responded 
to a film or or CD or play or anything else for that matter, and and really try using language alone. You know, you're, you're restricted. You don't have gestures. You don't have facial expressions. You don't have your tone, your voice, or anything else. Just your words to to try to convey in in very specific pictures and or feelings and or imagery uh you know your your thoughts on it and how you responded to it and then uh, peppering that of course with information because we're not just trying to convey how we feel about something we want to give information about it and give the basics and i know you do a real good job uh, of of reminding people of that you want to see uh, the director and whatnot uh, I mean, why don't you tell us what what are you looking for? What are the bare minimum that you're looking for in a film review? Well, I think certainly, uh, you know, some type of response that's usually a combination of emotional and intellectual. And I, I think that one of the things that you're sort of hitting on in what you just said, Eric, is the idea that it really helps to have a, a fairly broad frame of reference when you when you do reviews. Um, which isn't to say that you can't get something perfectly honest from somebody who's only seen five movies, but the person who's seen 5,000 movies is going to bring a little something extra to the mix. And I think that um, certainly what I try to remind writers is that film is, is a very collaborative medium and that if you saw a movie that you either liked or hated, um, it's really helpful to sort of think about where the movie either succeeded or didn't. Is it the director? Is it a crappy screenplay? Were the performances not up to snuff? I mean, there's just there's so many places where it can either go bad or, or come together and go right. And I think that when you're analyzing something and your response to it, you really need to sort of think of, of all of that and kind of try to put it together into sort of a cohesive piece and it's not an easy thing to do no it takes a lot of time and effort it, it really takes does. me a long time to write reviews when that's part of my excuse why i haven't been doing it but hey uh let's get into our sort of topic for the evening besides uh welcoming lisa and and uh we're really happy to have her hope she'll be able to check in at least uh, at some point in the show um you know most of the time from now on because she's certainly a member of the executive staff and this is the sort of uh executive show, the uh, the uh, cornerstone of the network, so to speak. But uh, we're we're going to talk about TV, and the way that came about is we, we sort of made a uh, last-minute alteration today. We were scheduled to have uh, more of a music uh, focus for the evening, but uh, we, we had a very last-minute uh, postponement. And so since we were going to have Josh Lasser on uh, later on in the show, he just got back from India. Very excited to hear about the trip. It's his first trip there, and he's going to tell us about that. But he also happens to be our TV editor, and so, of course, we were going to get into TV a little bit at least with him. And as a result, we just said, what the heck, let's let's turn this into a TV show. And I think we have uh, at least one and, and maybe two uh, of our writers on the line, our music editor, Connie Phillips uh, is the ongoing documenter of the doings of General Hospital. She writes our our um, General Hospital column on a virtually daily basis, I guess pretty much whenever it's on. And Brad Laidman is, is also a very fine TV writer for us, and he is following uh, Gossip Girl. And so are either of those uh, waiting on the line for us? If not, 
I'd certainly be interested to hear what Lisa is uh, is into these days as far as TV goes. Well, let me let me just mention too. Uh, anybody who's got an opinion on on television or movies, but especially television, I guess tonight is welcome to call. Uh, the number is six four six five nine five three one nine five. I know that uh, Connie and Brad are both in the chat room, so they'll they'll be dialing in in, in just a moment. And then on to you, Lisa. Um, I have to confess that um, I, I I watch TV nowadays, especially on weeknights, um, with sort of one eye on the set, um, mostly because, as as you can probably guess, uh, the laptop is usually open, and so I spend I spend my evenings uh, kind of sort of watching TV and kind of sort of editing and answering emails and doing a lot of my other BC type stuff. Um, but a couple of things that we've really been enjoying a lot, um, I guess I'll have to blame my husband, Jim, for, for getting me hooked on. Um, one is the, the new Doctor Who series, uh, which we've been really enjoying a lot. And the other is the, the Doctor Who spinoff, Torchwood, which I, I actually think I even like better than Doctor Who. And I, I don't know if that's, if that's a, a heresy or not, but... But there you have it. Where can you um, watch those? When are they on, and what on what um, channels? They're on. Um, they're on. B- they're on BBC America, which we we get on our cable network. And um, I want to say they're both on Friday nights. Although I'm pretty sure Torchwood airs originally on Friday nights here. Um, I'm not sure about Doctor Who, and I know that they both they both repeat. So if we don't catch them when they're initially on, we'll catch them on on a rebroadcast. And so I'd like to say I'm really used to setting settling down in front of the set at Friday at nine, but but I'd probably be lying if I said that. Um, what about each of those shows? Do you like what what's what's the for those who've never seen either? What's a, just a brief synopsis and what what has drawn you into them? Well, they're both um, they're they're both science fiction. Um, I guess the thing that draws me in is the same thing that draws me into anything. They're really character driven, uh, rather than rather than gimmick driven or or effects driven. Uh, they are populated by people that are funny and interesting and that you care about. And I think that whether you're talking about um, you know, characters in a movie, characters in a book, or characters in a TV show, that's really what it's all about. Uh, you don't necessarily have to like them, but you have to care. And and I think that's what I like about both of them. They're really well acted because, of course, you know, the the, the British really have the, the market cornered on, on good acting. Most of the time. Oh, no, hang on now. We're going to have to talk about Dexter if you keep that up. Yeah, well, see, I don't, I don't get that's Showtime, right? Yes, it is. Yes, we it don't is. have Showtime, so I, I cannot, I cannot address that. <laughs> have me well, at a disadvantage, Philip. Oh well, we we do have Connie on the line as well. Uh, welcome to the show, Connie. Thank you. Hello, Philip, Eric, Lisa. Connie. Hello. How are you doing over there in Toledo? Oh, trying to stay warm. So are you are you down below freezing yet? We've had that icky kind of rain, just you know, just above freezing, where it's just kind of it's so cold and icky, but not quite snow. What do you guys have over there? Uh, ice earlier this week, but yeah, it's rain now. 
It's ick. Well, yes. you know, you're our music editor, and what a swell music editor you are. But well, thank you. moving down a side alley, you are you are uh, well nigh obsessed with General Hospital. What what drew you to that? That uh, that sort of just appeared. I'm going to write about General Hospital. I'm going to go do so on a on a well nigh religious basis. And you've done uh, what a great job. I mean, you're there every day covering. The doings uh, on, on the show. What what drove you to that, or what brought you to it? Well, I used to be a huge fan back in the '80s when everybody was a fan of General Hospital, and kind of got away from it the last ten years or so. And then about two years ago, they started bringing back those veteran characters from the '80s. Um, Rick Springfield came back, uh, Tristan Rogers, Fanola Hughes, reprising those roles from the heyday. And I kind of started to get a few news reports on it for. For you know, these actors are coming back, catch them for their short stints, and the TV editor at the time said, well, if you're watching, why don't you start doing it? So we started doing it, um, doing the reviews, uh, started out doing them once a week with the recaps and then the look-aheads, and we've probably been doing it every day now for about six months, maybe. Well, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of activity. What kind of feedback do you get? Do you, are, are you in touch with other people who watch as, yeah, as regularly? Yeah, there's a few regulars that comment, you know, a few times a week then on the different storylines and such. So, um, Have you been yeah, in touch we, with anyone from the show or the network? Not yet, no. We keep hoping. So you're still on your own, out there beating the bushes, all by your lonesome, fighting the good fight. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the daily recaps, and then I throw in my commentary and what I hate and what we like, and... And then once or twice a week I try to dig up the news, you know, who's coming back, who's leaving, who's, um, what great storylines are coming up and such. So so what is going on right now for people who are maybe uh, fans or potential fans, but perhaps they've lapsed and, and gone off uh, to Kathmandu for a while or something? What's been going on lately? Uh, well, the big story is the text message killer that they've had um, the... The first murder was in November, I believe, and they, they're they saying it's probably not going to wrap up until February, but he just had another attack maxi on Friday, and there's going to be another casualty before the end of the week. So does he write so. them, like, harshly worded text messages? He, he usually warns them before a text message, but through uh. a text message, and then strikes. And these text messages have been piggybacked on other people's phones so they can't trace them and kind of have that technical aspect and the techie thing to where they can't trace the text messages. And Does he beat them with like the phone? From the police commissioner's phone or the mayor's phone. Or it, it's raising the difficulty level. Can you warn your victim and still manage to kill them untraceably? <laughs> wow. I like it. It's been rather, you know, in some in some ways it's kind of silly, but some of the storylines are that way. But um, on General yeah. Hospital, oh really? really? <laughs> I'll tell you, my mother's been watching all my children for about thirty-five years now, and every time she turns it on, she says, "Ah, I know it's stupid. I can't believe it. I'm sitting here wasting time." <laughs> she said the same thing every day for thirty-five years. <laughs> Or however, however long it's been on, I, I don't know. And she never watches any of the other ones. So that seems to be uh, at least one form of soap watcher is that, you know, your soap, the one you pick, that one's okay, you know. All the rest are stupid. It's kind of like a drug. You know, you hear about drug addicts or drug users 
kind of look down on on all other uh, users of of other kinds of drugs, you know. Mm-hmm. And and it, I, do you see that uh, similarity with yeah? Well, with I kind of people? touched on this about a week ago or so. They've um, been systematically over the last year picking off members of the Quartermain family, which has been kind of a staple of the show since you know since the beginning almost. And a lot of fans are sort of outraged that they're taking this core family and trying to get rid of it. And to, they tune in to see what's going on with that family, you know, what what's going on in their daily life, and, and you know who they're, you know, what's going, who they're associating with, and who's trying to rip who off in business or whatever, you know, what's going on at the hospital with those doctors. And they're kind of trying to move away from that. And so it's like you're saying, people turn in to see that that certain element, that family or um All right, well what's what's going on? What's coming up here? What can people what inside info do you have? What uh what spoilers, what what news what's coming on down the down the line, down the pike here? Well I'm holding my breath. <gasps> the next uh the next victim is going to be um Georgie Jones, uh police commissioner's daughter. Um, because she's kind of on to who the text message killer is, so is she we're going to eliminate her. Is she a slut? I'm sorry? Is she a slut? No. Oh, no, usually it's slut. The slut was the one who got killed. attacked, which was her sister. She, she survived it. Um, was it a twin sister? No. An evil no. twin? An evil <laughs> slut twin? <laughs> <laughs> and actually, this is going to be, bring back... Um, Felicia Jones, another one of those veteran characters, the mother of the two characters kind of went off to Texas to take care of a grandmother two or three years ago, not to be seen again. So she is going to come home for the funeral next week. But what about Luke and Laura? Uh, Luke actually uh, had a heart attack and was being operated on today and went to hell. So that was kind of interesting. Wow, like Scrooge. (laughs) Yeah, it was kind of a take on the Scrooge story or the, the Wonderful Life, except you know, he was forced to live eternity taking care of his grandchildren and uh, um, instead of, you know, solving all the the capers like he did in the 80s, he had to slow his life down and take care of his grandkids and was so just hating every minute of it. Is Luke like 75 years old now? Uh, pretty darn close. Because <laughs> no. I, I do remember, you know, catching an episode or two maybe in the 80s and uh, he he wasn't, you know, I mean, he was youngish then, but, you know, it was a while ago. Yeah. Yeah, so they kind of touched on that um, about a year ago when, with him, and they had Robert Scorpio back, and they had this big caper, and they just couldn't keep up with the rest of the young guys. And um, So, yeah, so then this just this past uh, sweeps period, he had a heart attack and had a uh, quadruple bypass today, so it looks like he's wow. going to pull through, though. Is he still in hell, or, or has he been... Uh, no, they saved okay. him. They brought him back, so... Did he see the light? Uh, we'll find out tomorrow, I think. Wow. They just had him waking up at the end of the episode, yeah. So now, where do you get all this information? Is this... I, I mean, what are your sources? Is it psychic? <laughs> no. Uh, lots you of You put other your hands on the TV? Kind of around on, and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of searching them up, digging them up on my own right now, so... Well, I, but I guess I mean, what what are the sources? Where I mean, how how where does it come from? Is it the writer? I mean, who who is divulging this information? 
there there are people on the on the inside on the technical, you know, script writers or what that let a few of them out. Ah. Yeah. Um, it's it's going to be interesting to see how soon the writer's strike starts to affect these scripts. So, um, I know you, that the one coming up this week is the tail end of the ones that were written by the the core writers of the show. So, so well, have they brought in new writers? How are they handling it? How are they keeping so going? That's what the word is. They've had they've brought in some scab writers. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. That sounds bad. <sighs> oh. Well, very very interesting. Do you watch any other soaps? No, I don't. That's it. Well, I, we watched. We did Night Shift, which was the soap, the spinoff they did on to um, Soap Net this over the summer. It was thirteen episodes, uh, kind of at a beginning and an end. It was just in the hospital um, during the night shift. Was it and, different characters or the same? No, they brought in some of the same characters, and uh, it was like I said, it was, it was mostly hospital-based stories. It did really, really well on Soap Net, so they're hoping to do a second season of it this coming summer. Fascinating. Well, anything else uh, that that uh, fans or fans to be should be looking out for? Um, the, those uh, the DVDs of that first season of Night Shift will be coming out in February. Aha. Night Shift. So. Oh, oh. Um, so now everybody can catch up. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Well, thank you very much for coming on and sharing your obsession with us. I, I have well, no admit, problem. I have to admit, soaps can be uh, can be pretty tempting and alluring and you just you tell yourself I'll quit after just one more episode um, but I, I'm glad that you've so far resisted that urge to quit. Oh, I've had my days I'm, you know I, that kind of reflects in the articles I think sometimes you get frustrated but I think like I said you tune in for the characters and to see what's going on in their lives and hopefully they can keep me coming back in. Just as Lisa said why she's right. drawn to Torchwood and the current version of Doctor Who. Well, we've also got uh, Brad Laidman on the line with us. He's a fan of another show, Gossip Girl. Brad, welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing, Phil? I'm, I'm doing well. Yes, and welcome to Blog Critics. You've been doing a great job. We really, really appreciate it. I was just scanning back over your articles, and you've done a lot of really interesting things in, in addition to to uh, staying with Gossip Girl for us. So welcome, and, and thanks for participating. Sure, sure. There's no uh, text murderer on Gossip Girl yet, though. So. How come? <laughs> I, they haven't thought of it yet. Everything else is there, though. So, well, maybe, maybe with the writer strike, they'll be desperate for ideas, and they'll they'll uh, come up with some variation on a text message killer. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why the nighttime people just don't rip off the daytime shows. Because <laughs> they're so far ahead. Yeah, I mean, they they have to come up with five times the amount of material. It is cutting edge, <laughs> bleeding edge material. Hey, uh, for those of us who who have never seen Gossip Girl, I've sure heard a lot about it. I've read several of your stories, but I, I have yet to see the show myself. Why don't you um, why don't you tell people what it's about? You know, give us a little background on it and and uh, why you are particularly interested in it and decided that you wanted to cover it. Sure. Well, um, I was basically a big Beverly Hills 90210 fan, and uh, you know, I found that a lot of really bright people love to watch that show and sort of hated themselves for loving that show. So it's kind of like one of those great shows that you can make fun of and really love at the same time. Uh, yeah. And the paradise. Uh, it's uh, it's essentially exactly Beverly Hills 90210, but because they've already done 90210, it has a lot shorter of, a, of an intensive span. The rich kids are about ten times as rich, 
and uh, the debauchery is uh, about ten times the level of 90210, and there's no moral lessons because they dispense with that after, I think, the second season anyway. Because that would be lame. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it's basically uh, really good-looking kids falling in love, wearing, uh, you know, high-fashion clothes, and, uh, you know, doing every drug that they can find. Where does it take place? Uh, it's actually, it takes place in New York, and it has the same setup. Uh, you have your middle-class good family, who are the Humphreys, and, uh, you know, just like on 90210, there's a boy and a girl, there's Dan and Jenny, and they have to deal with the super rich kids that they somehow manage to go to school with. Wow. So uh, how does that work? Clash of cultures, clash of values. Is yeah. it a busing program? I mean, usually schools are, are pretty well, tightly regimented economically. <laughs> because, uh, because it's written by Josh Schwartz, there's adult plots also. And the Humphreys family was, I think, a rock star for 30 seconds in the 80s or 90s. And uh, One I of those decades. Yeah, I think he's going broke, basically sending his kids to a really good school. Is it a private and, school? And uh, he has to deal with, yeah, he has to deal with the fallout as, uh, you know, they become uh, attracted to the wealthy, the wealthy people. Uh, they're, they're grasping onto that lifestyle, but ju- gradually sliding out of it. Yeah, well, the you know the older kid Dan is dating basically the hottest chick of all time, and uh, Not for him, Scarlett Johansson yeah. is on the show. What'd you say? Scarlett Johansson is on the show. I I, I would have thought I'd known about that. No, it's actually Blake Lively who is just amazing, just smoking hot, huh? Just unreal, unreal. I mean, all the girls look really good on this show, I and mean, they they spared no dollars. To uh, to give you hot young women. No ugly girls allowed was part of the casting call. Yeah, you know it's Bring that was one of my babes. that was one of my favorite parts of nine hundred two and oh Actually, I don't know if you guys used to watch that show, but in the in the beginning of nine hundred two and oh, uh, the David Silver character was a huge geek, and he had a friend that was another huge geek, and after like about a season and a half, David Silver wasn't really a geek anymore. He was kind of good looking. And because they couldn't handle having a geek on the show, they had to have the the other geeky character accidentally kill himself with a gun. Well, so of course they just skipped the geeks on this show. There are no geeks. Um, so this is a post geek show. Yeah, it's um, you know, it's been fed through the OC, and uh, Josh Schwartz has kept his motif from the OC, in which there's a major party in every single episode, and in every single episode there's a complete meltdown and a fistfight at every single party. Wow, it's a you know it's a it's a staple of his shows, and I think that it's a, a good thing to keep with debauchery. Yeah, yeah. In fact, there's one character on the show who is a fabulous, such fast, and uh, he is uh, essentially the kid that plays Chuck Bass, and I can't remember his name. Is uh, channeling James Spader from Pretty in Pink. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, when you're talking about the setup, I was thinking of uh, Less Than Zero too. Yeah, and he, you know, James Bader played a drug dealer in that movie, and it's just, it's basically the same character. He's basically, you know, the richest, worst person you could possibly imagine in the world. The snottiest, snobbiest, most reprehensible, worthless dwid. Yeah, and he, uh, in the last episode, he actually made a romantic play uh, that involved starting the fist fight and it didn't work out and he left town, which I think my guess was that he was going to Vegas to do some whoring. Well, 
<laughs> but, but we all know that prostitution is not legal in Clark County. In uh, in oh, in Las Vegas. Yeah, it's the the county. It's, it's yeah. Like, well, look, this guy does. This yeah. guy's doing. This guy's doing variants of drugs, and he's basically so rich that the laws do not apply to him. So uh, uh, that would not be a deterrent for him. No, I. That, that, that I was, would be nice. I was joking anyway, because of course you know. <laughs> But it, it's prostitution by any other name. But, you know, everywhere else in Nevada, it's just flat-out legal, you know. Yeah, well, they have to keep it – the funny thing was that Vegas for a while was trying to make itself kid-friendly, and that was such a failure that they switched to the uh, whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas logo. So they've, they've kind of decided just to deal with the fact that it's Sin City. It's it, – it, you're Brad, right. what 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 kind what the, where can I find Gossip Girl? Uh, what it's time? the CW, which I guess was the WB and it merged with something else. It's on Channel Eight. Does that help? <laughs> no. Um, no. Channel Eight in what city? <laughs> CW, I think it's thirty three in Dallas. So. Yeah, it's on the CW. Actually, it would be on right this second, but. Um, it's well, wasn't it the WB and UPN? Didn't they go together? Yes. Yeah, that sounds familiar. I was okay. a big Felicity fan, too. I have, a, I have an issue with teen, with teen soaps. <laughs> sounds like it. How old are you there, Brad? Uh, yeah, I, I'm 41, but, you know, I did... <laughs> favorite movie of all time is 10 Things I Hate About You. And uh, I That was that, amusing. Yeah, I, I like yeah, that a lot. I just think that there's, you know, when you're talking about falling in love, you never really fall in love the same way as you do in high school. That's where it's all innocent, and that's where it's romantic. So I think that that's why these movies and these TV shows have a, a lot of resonance with me. Well, you know what else it is at high school? Cause we were just watching a movie just a night or two ago that was, you know, of, of that age group. I'm trying to think what it was. And so I was kind of thinking about it. And, and what makes it different is the compression. Everything is so much more compressed in high school every day counts every day is a lifetime the older you get time just kind of stretches out oh a week went by oh look a month went by gosh that was just a year wasn't it and but in high school you know just every day is so fraught with yeah i mean if you have a spat at the gym locker it's the end of the world uh, it's it's all you know and and the relationships i mean they can last from you know from from uh the first break to lunch and that's a big deal and that counts, you know, uh, that counts on your list of relationships if it lasted, you know, a couple hours uh, at school. And, you know, those relationships... <laughs> that reminds me of the first the, uh, date that John Cusack had with Diane Court in uh, Say Anything. Oh, no, which, you know, that, that's one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, in which he claimed that their first date was when they both ate at the food court together, even though they were at different tables. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's taking it pretty broadly. Yeah, in fact, that I think that's Dawn, my wife's Dawn, a favorite movie. I, John Cusack is her favorite. Well, now she says it's Tom Hanks, but, uh, you know, back to her founding years, uh, John Cusack's her favorite. It, certainly the John Cusack teenish movies are her favorite movies. We just got the DVD of Say Anything, in fact. Yeah, you know, I've met, a lot of, I've met a lot of women who claim that they're in love with John Cusack, but it just hasn't worked out for me because I thought I was John Cusack. <laughs> and if you, the, 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 if you watch John Cusack movies, uh, they're very romantic, but he's essentially a stalker in his biggest movies. Yeah. I mean, Say Anything, he's a, just an enormous stalker. Um, it's just that he gets the girl in the end. So, 
I guess it's good then that you're not John Cusack, in fact, but Brad Benson. <laughs> you know, I think a stalker in their own way, but in, in High Fidelity, he's a stalker too. Yep. Again, he gets the girl. Yep. Winners well, write you. history. Thanks exactly. for uh, coming on the show, Brad. I appreciate learning about uh, Gossip Girl. I, I, I think I may have passed up my, my phase for teen television, um, but, but clearly... Clearly, I'm not too old for it. Since well, you know, my friend used to be well. right me for not watching West Wing when I used to watch Felicity every week, and I think I tried it once, and I said, you know, the writing's excellent, and uh, it's a brilliantly written show, but uh, I have it's to watch it. It's not where your heart is. Yeah, yeah. you got to follow your heart, man. Exactly, exactly. Well, thanks, thanks for coming on the show, Brad. We'll be loud and proud about it, Brad, and we appreciate it. All right, thanks for having me on, you guys. All right. Our pleasure. All right, bye. We also, um, so we, we've talked about Gossip Girl. Uh, Lisa, have you ever watched Gossip Girl? I have not, and I have to, I have to admit that that whole teen, te- well, with the exception of Buffy, that whole teen TV thing is not really my scene. Well, and Buffy is the exception to every rule. Absolutely. Yeah, well, I guess I, I said I was too old for teen television, but uh, there will always be a, a soft spot in my heart for Buffy. What it's is always... the deal about Buffy? I watched maybe five episodes ever, and it seemed amusing enough. But, I mean, when I hear people, you know, like Lisa and and uh, Philip, for that matter, just people across the board who who you would not perceive as being drawn toward the the bastard child of of the Buffy the Vampire Slayer film, uh, you know, and and they rave about the series. I mean, critics, yes. critical darling, on and on. What what is the essence of it? Tell me, please. It, it's it's Josh Whedon. Um, but d- please please ignore the film. Pretend the film didn't happen. Uh, if anybody's judging Buffy by the film, they've they've got the wrong idea. That's what happens when a good writer writes a good story and it's taken away by filthy hacks. That's that's my view, and I'm I'm sticking with it. Well, I kind of like agree the movie. with that. I would yeah, I mean, agree with that. The the television show. I mean, basically, you take this idea where you you have this this mousy little girl who, in and of herself, she's no, you know, she's no super strong superhero. She's She's just your everyday girl trying to get through high, high school. And so you, you tell the story of high school, only you really are facing demons. It's not just these inner demons. It's not just that people are looking at you funny in your imagination. People are really looking at you funny because everywhere you go, people die. Um, it's it's every, everything you've ever hated about high school, um, you know, told with demons and... and Vampires. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Well, we, we have on the line with us, actually, now, Josh Lasser. Hello, and welcome to the show, Jeff. Oh, thanks, guys, for having me. Josh, hey, Josh, how are you? I'm good. A little cold, but other, other than a little cold, I'm good. How was the trip? Uh, it was fantastic. It, it was a lot of fun. Uh, it, it, it's a completely different world. But it's uh, India. I was in India, and it's a completely different world, and yet it's sort of everything's sort of vaguely familiar. Sort of a, a funhouse image. Where did you go there? And and your your wife is American. Indian. She she was born here, but her parents were born there. 
And so did you, I, I assume you were visiting her family? Yeah, well, first what we did was uh, we went to Delhi, which is not where her family is. And, you know, we, we went around Delhi and Agra, which is where the Taj Mahal is, and uh, Jaipur. And then uh, we went to visit my wife's family for a week or so, and then uh, went to Mumbai, formerly Bombay, for a couple of days. So what are your impressions? What 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 was different? What was the same? What uh, what what how did you come away from the experience? What what did you take away from the experience? Uh why well, I, I being that we you know we stayed with a, a lot of different families and a lot of different friends and a lot of different people, it seems to me that you know even if uh, some traditions are different, like people all around the world are the same. Like people have the same sort of thought processes and ways of viewing the world. You know, it's easy to relate to people halfway around the world. Do they speak English? Uh, yes. Yes. And when they didn't, I didn't understand them. <laughs> <laughs> or I, I did a little bit, but uh, not, not enough to really hold a true conversation. Does your wife speak? She speaks Gujarati. Yeah. I mean, she. I guess she would say that she's fluent, but... Uh, it, I guess she was trying to explain to me that there's a, like a more formal way of speaking and a less formal way. And uh, the more formal way she doesn't fully get, but the less formal way she's fluent. Interesting. What Just visually walking around, what, what, what did you observe? Uh, you know, actually all the cities were completely different from one another. Uh, like a city like Mumbai, it people there sort of equate it to New York. And I would say that, you know, it does, in fact, it, it has a very Western feel to it, much more so than any of the other cities we were in. I mean, the city like Delhi, um, it, it's unquestionably it's a city. It's got all the buildings and tons of people and everything, but it, it just functions completely differently. It looks completely different. Interesting. That's the tech center, right? Uh, that That's more... Wait a minute. I'm spacing on where all the tech stuff is done. <laughs> Bangalore, Bangalore. Oh, I'm sorry, you're right, Bangalore, yep, that's right. Is that where Amon is? Uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I believe so. He was in he was in Mumbai for a while, but we, we, we need to have him on and talk to him about living, actually. In, yeah, we do. The, the time zones are always fun there. He's gone back and forth a few times now. <laughs> he, he truly is a uh, bi-continental individual. Um, what about the entertainment? Uh, well, we we did get the chance to go see a Bollywood movie, which was a ton of fun. We went to see um, Aja Nachle, which is Madhuri Dixit's new movie, and uh, it was it was funny because while I barely understood anything that was said on screen, uh, I I don't know whether it was a particularly deep movie, but I certainly knew exactly what was happening just from the way people looked at each other, the way people interacted, the music cues, the way everything was filmed. It, it's so similar. I mean, there are, of course, differences, but there's enough similarities that, that I could figure out exactly what was happening. So and you enjoyed it? Of a, yeah, enough of a Western culture for you to get a hold of. and, and Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you know, the breaking into song and dance is a little different, but uh, outside of that... Outside of uh, the sound of music and what was the show that just came and went to the town, the Nevada town, the border? Viva Laughlin. Viva Laughlin, based yeah. on the BBC series. Yeah. Did, didn't they uh, break out into song and dance pretty often in that? 
they sort of did, and so I sort of didn't. I mean, they they broke out into a lot of dance, and some of the song you couldn't really always tell whether it was really there or imagined or just sort of soundtrack. Well, this transition, actually, into talking about Viva Laughlin, um, I guess it's a good time to mention you are, in fact, the television editor for Blog Critics. Yes, I am. And Son of a biscuit. And in addition to that, you've just launched a new blog talk radio show, part of the BC Radio Network. You've launched Screen Time. Yeah, uh, Screen Time, it's uh, 10.30 at night, Eastern Time, on, on Tuesdays, with right, uh, my co-host right. Aaron Medley. And in fact, Aaron is on the line with us right now. Welcome to the show, Aaron. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Hi, Aaron. Uh, hello. Uh, a familiar pair of voices. I spent some time last night, and then uh, this morning, the part I'd missed, uh, catching up on, on you guys talking about television, and now here we are again. <laughs> <laughs> the gang's all here. Now, now I, just have to, I just have to do a quick test here now that it's been brought up. Um, Buffy, yay or nay from either one of you? Yay. Yay. Oh, very good. Okay, well then, yeah, we can have you hosting a, a, a so, television. Yeah, just like everyone's a Buffy head. I mean, you, the show is quality. I, I didn't actually start watching it when it when it started airing because you know I, I was one of those naysayers, and, and then uh, FX got the rights to air the old episodes in syndication, and they were like doing two episodes a night, um, you know, just before prime time, and I started watching it at that point, and caught up really fast and realized that I should have been watching all along. For all of the for all the the Buffy naysayers out there, the two episodes you need to watch are Hush, which basically has no dialogue, and uh, the the musical one. I can't once remember what Once, once more, more With Feeling. feeling. Yes. You know, they, there was a touring show of Once More With Feeling. They would go around the country, rent out a theater. People would pay to show up. You would have a big karaoke theme where the, the words to all the songs would appear on the big screen. We had things to throw, and, and you know, it was very, um, very much a group activity. Unfortunately, it, it just got shut down by the uh, fine, fine folks responsible for uh, the copyright on that show, but I, I'm glad to report I got to catch one of the last airings of that. That was a well, lot. Of wasn't fun. one of the reasons that they shut it down? Didn't it have to do with residuals? Um, that, that is in fact the that case. That well, is, if ever there was a transition, man. So what's going on with this stupid writer strike? Oh, tell me all about it. As far as I can tell, they're not really talking anymore. Right after this past weekend. Um, they, they've decided that they're not even going to talk to each other for the next little while. There is no end in strike, and I believe right now they're in week six. And from what I've I've gathered, once they get past the week eight mark, the producers don't have to follow any sort of contract. So I guess that means that's good for the networks because then the producers, you know, they can go back to work. Um, not that they're on strike, but you know, a lot of the producers are also writers. So that's that's what well, I can go gathered. back and, and and like like can they can monitor what's taking place, but they can't actually write any scripts, right? I have to. You know what, Josh? I will do more digging. So for all of you who are interested, it will be on our show this Tuesday. I will have all the, the information. For for those who are uh, haven't been following this closely, and I admit I haven't because labor a- actions always just give me gas. Frankly, <laughs> whatever field they may be in. Um, please give us just, you know, what are the basic bones of contention here and who's right and who's wrong and what do you think is going to happen? Well, uh, the, one of the most basic questions that uh, 
it has to be determined is how much, if anything, writers deserve to get from uh, online content, from repurposed online content, you know, something that was taken from television and moved to the Internet, or for something that was specifically written for the Internet. Uh, There's this whole question about residuals right now. You know, like you can download shows from iTunes or NBC and Fox just launched this new website, Hulu.com. And uh, there's a question of how much, if anything, the writers deserve to get from those shows, from shows that initially aired on TV, which for which they were paid, uh, what they deserve to get for online content. Which are, are uh, advertising supported then? Uh, whether it's sometimes it's advertising supported, you know, co- commercials within the shows that you're going to watch online. Sometimes there's advertising pre-roll, you know, one of those 30-second and one-minute spots before the show begins. And, of course, there are ads all over the web page for which, you know, every eyeball generates however much money. So or it would be very difficult accounting-wise. In the case of iTunes, there's actual payment for the episode. It's two dollars an episode. Right. And, yeah. In in iTunes case, there's money changing hands if you want to see it at all. Yeah. So who's um, who, what's your opinion? You know, who's right? Who's wrong? Who's more reasonable? Where do you think it's going to end up? Uh, well, not knowing exactly what's being said behind the closed doors, I, I can't say who's more reasonable. But I, I think that I think that the writers deserve some money for the stuff that's being repurposed. If the networks are making money off of their the writer's work, the writers ought to be compensated. How much becomes a much more complicated issue, and one I'm glad that I don't have to decide. I completely agree with Josh. I think the writers are in the right on this particular issue, but when it comes to compensation, that is a little harder to figure out. So have the producers, I assume that's the, the other side of it, or, or the networks, are, are they just taking a total hard line, no money for you whatsoever from no, the Internet? The most recent thing that I read said that, that, there was, that they were offering like a flat fee yeah. for content aired like after more than six weeks after the original television air date or something like and that. And I believe the flat fee was $250. Yeah, that, I think that's what I saw, $250. Hmm. So where do you think it's going to end up? I can't even guess. No time soon. I mean, definitely not before January. You know, that's that's off. Hopefully yeah, by March. Now, now, how wide ranging is is the Writers Guild of America? I mean, I, I've heard of you know movies being interrupted, movies being delayed. Um, obviously, reality shows are, are exempt, so apparently we're going to be seeing an awful lot of those. But but how how many different areas does this affect? It mainly it's television and film. Anything any scripted program that you see on a big screen or on a little screen is affected. Right. What about independent films? Uh, if it's a non-union job, then they, they would not be affected. Right. And as far as films are concerned, it doesn't. Um, affect films that films have a lot longer lead time than television shows so you know movies that are supposed to come out in the the next six to eight months those are fine you know it's just the ones oh nine movies those might be in a little might be pushed back a little right and uh what because people figured that the writer's strike was coming a lot of production companies a lot of distributors they stockpiled a bunch of scripts so that they would have stuff ready to film for when the strike occurred. So are shows running out of scripts yet? Is that yeah, happening? there are a 
bunch of shows that no longer have any filmed episodes. I think like uh, NBC's The Office no longer has anything in the can. Right. I can. I mean, uh, just a, a couple of shows here. Brothers and Sisters. Only three shows left. Um, Bionic Woman. That show might be on the outs completely. Um, they don't have any shows left, and wasn't getting good ratings anyway. Um, Dirty Sexy Money. Only three shows left. Desperate Housewives. One show left. So it's it's really the shows that people watch. There there are no shows left. <laughs> What's going on with the live shows or the well, you know, tape daily shows, the the uh, the evening shows, talk shows. Uh, well, it it depends. Like a a daytime show, whether it's like an Oprah or a Martha Stewart or um, an Ellen, those are still taking place. Ellen, she did she did a strike for one day, or I guess it's probably not technically a strike. She showed her solidarity with the union for one day, not filming. Something like the Tonight Show and Conan and Letterman and Saturday Night Live. Those things are dark. Those those are not filming. And it's mostly because the hosts have monologues. And for the monologues, they have writers. Now, Ellen hasn't been doing a monologue since the strike started. She, I think she's been playing some sort of games in, in place of the monologue. Right. So, you mean like Monopoly? <laughs> I don't know. I saw a preview with a cardboard cutout, and you have to try to fit through the – I don't know. I, I have no idea. Something with a cardboard cutout. Those crazy women's daytime shows. <laughs> yeah. Wacky zaniness, yes. You know, when most people are working. But you know, in my opinion, one of the one of the more interesting things about interesting things about the strike and what we're starting to see now is that all the other people that work on stuff like Letterman and Conan and Saturday Night Live, all, all the the tech guys, the crew guys, the people that aren't writers that still help make the show, those guys are now out of luck. Mm-hmm. The, the those guys, uh, a lot of them have been laid off. For the time being, some of them are, you know, being paid, whether it's through Letterman's Worldwide Pants, I believe is still paying some of their people. Mm-hmm. But uh, come mm-hmm. January, a lot of those guys or more of those guys are just going to be completely without a paycheck. So the whole thing is a game of high stakes chicken, right, basically? Who blinks first? I, I, I don't know that I would say that it's chicken as much as, I don't, I, I don't know how I'd characterize it. Well, given how the viewership uh, of prime time or, or just of network television in general has been falling, it's more like a game of Russian roulette. They're both playing. Uh, you know, it's it's really interesting because I think that a lot of people think that in the future the internet is going to be able to make up a lot of those eyeballs that they're losing on broadcast TV, and that's that's really the argument for the entire strike is. Uh, whatever eyeballs do appear on the internet and whatever money is coming in from that, people want to have a piece of. Yeah, I had heard in, in my perception, besides just anecdotally, is you know video, quote-unquote, in its entirety is viewing, is up higher than ever. But you got to look for, you know, you look to to network TV, broadcast TV, and then cable TV, and then the internet and add it all up. And there's a vast amount of video that's out there. It's just so much more diffuse. You know, in the old day, when I was a kid, uh, you know, in the in the 60s, I mean, there were literally three networks. If you were in a big major city, like Josh, I know you're from New York area. I, I was from L.A. And so you had, you know, a handful of, of local stations, and you had PBS, and that was it. 
Yeah, I, it it is a different world now, and uh, stuff like DVRs, personal video recorders, digital video recorders. They they say that uh, statistic I saw said that viewership with a DVR is up from like nine percent during last fall to almost nineteen or twenty percent this fall, which again it skews the number totally because it all depends on how you read the ratings report to see whether shows are doing better or worse this year. Because if you're looking at, like, a next-day report, you know, you might not see somebody that TiVo'd the show and isn't planning on watching it until two days later. What's interesting about that is it, it tends to put television more into the realm that web advertising has been all along, which is instead of just counting a couple of representative samples and extrapolating from there, um, you know, DVRs enable them to, to count actual eyeballs, and I don't think they're liking the numbers they're seeing. Well, I actually read one thing that said um, that for whatever reason, people that have DVRs, a lot of them, a significant portion of them, tend not to fast forward through the commercials. Really? Yeah, that's which I can't fathom because that's the whole reason I have my TiVo. That's exactly well, yeah, why I, I have mine. <laughs> I know I skip through them, so someone out there is a sucker. Somebody out there is watching them. And then there's also a question I think that's going to become more important in the future about placement of commercials because that first commercial of the block and that last commercial of the block are much more likely to be seen if you have a DVR than uh, the, the middle commercials. And, of course, that also brings up the, the topic of product placement within the actual programming. That's right. becoming such a, a crucial source of, of uh, revenue. The biggest offender this season, no pun intended, is definitely the biggest loser. The product placement in that show is out of control. It it seems like just an hour-long commercial every time you watch it between Wrigley um, sponsoring the challenges and the – it's just – Dunkin' Donuts. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, I have to admit, you know, one of the reasons uh, that we have you on the show tonight um, is a little bit of product placement of our own. Uh, we do certainly want to encourage people to listen to the uh, Screen Time broadcast on Tuesday nights. Uh, of course, you can always check it uh, via archive if you miss it live, but that's at uh, blogtalkradio.com slash screen time. And uh, obviously we also had uh, Connie on to talk about General Hospital. That's a series that people can find every day on um, blogcritics.org. Lisa, we hope you'll join us here every Wednesday on the blog, what do we call it now, Uh, BC Radio Live for this show. And um, so I can kind of understand the desire for product placement. Absolutely. Well, Well, you know, you, there's you got to fund this stuff and it's not like the the producers the money people the networks it's not like they're going to accept l- reduced standards of living that's that's just out that's not going right. to happen so well, where does the money come from well if people have the opportunity to skip through the commercials can't guarantee that they're watching the commercials anymore then you know what's the next step well it's actually a step backwards you know i remember the the old old days on on live TV or, or, you know, taped that day. You know, Johnny Carson doing his own commercials. Well, Ed McMahon, of course, doing doing live commercials, you know, right there in the in the context of the show. Uh, I remember, you know, way back uh, when I was in L.A. watching the Dodgers, 
and Vince Scully is on there pitching for Farmer John, you know, uh, right there on the show. So in a way, it's a step backwards, you know, in the old, old days, and same with live radio uh, and TV, uh, you know, the, the hosts, the stars, were doing their own commercials, and they were the context of trying to get to where people, um, you know, don't really have the choice. Right. Well, that's about all the time we have for tonight. So thank you to Eric and thank you to Lisa for being on with us tonight. Uh, Remind our listeners, you can listen to BC Radio Live each and every Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time at blogtalkradio.com slash bcradio. You can find out more about all the shows on the BC Radio Network at blogcritics.org slash bcradio. And until next week, aloha. 